Thank you for joining us on this episode of MSP 1337, a podcast dedicated to helping MSPs and their clients navigate cybersecurity. Cybersecurity is a journey, but it doesn't mean you have to travel alone. I'm your host, Chris Johnson. And before we get started, I would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, IT Pro TV. Looking to keep your techs up to date with the latest IT skills without having to pay for pricey conferences and boot camps? Online IT training is the answer, and IT Pro TV is the market leader. IT Pro TV, online IT training that's so engaging, it's binge worthy. Now, on with the show. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of MSP 1337. I'm joined this week by Frank McGovern and Stel Valavanis uh, from Blue Team Con. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Hey. So um, in a second here, I'll have Frank share with uh, the audience what, what Blue Team Con is. But real quick, I wanted to stage the, the topic for today's conversation, which is going to be hoodies versus suits and what all that entails as this was a uh, byproduct coming out of the recent Blue Team Con conference where an unstructured session sprung up called Hoodie versus Suits. Frank, talk to us a little bit about what is Blue Team Con and how Blue Team came about. Yeah, so Blue Team Con is a conference really made for defenders of organizations, but it really expands on what Blue Team really means and trying to redefine what that term means. Uh, what, what our goal was, we were going around to a lot of the cybersecurity conferences and many are very hacker focused or uh, teaching you how to exploit something or about vulnerabilities. And there were some in there that would teach you how to be a little more of a secure environment, uh, but they were just you know scattered throughout these conferences. It wasn't the main focus of the cons that we were going to. So essentially those would be red team exercises as opposed yeah. to blue team. That's correct. Okay. And what we were finding was the ones that were blue team focused were more DOD driven or they were owned by a vendor. So it was really just more about their product and how it can help secure your environment. Sure. There was nothing that was wide open um, in a large conference for the defenders that would create this ecosystem of community. Um, a lot of the ones that the blue teamers are still the more traditional type conferences where you, you go sit down at a table with a few people and you just see talks all day for eight hours straight and you leave like, and you come in business casual clothing. Right. And it's, it's just like a business event. It's not sure. really this building of community that the hacker cons had. So what I'm trying to do is build that same type of mentality for a conference on our side. So um, this to some degree uh, is where we want to want to take the today's uh, episode. But what you're saying really makes in my head resonates with you're almost describing uh, what traditionally in a, in a blue team conference would look like is a lot of uh, people that are older, really uh, on, a, on a quantity level, not necessarily that there aren't younger people there, but the, the demographics would be largely made up of people that have been in the space 10 plus years, which means that they're not 25. Uh, and so they wouldn't have that perspective like we do today when we think hacker and, you know, I, if, I first thing I think about, and this is aging me, but the movie hackers, 
right? Like the, the first time Angelina Jolie was, was in, in a movie that people knew about. And, you know, it was all of the phone freaking and, you know, having the books and really old school uh, hacker. And of course, large parts of that movie were totally um, so far outlandish. So that, yeah, with, with my dial-up modem, I'm going to take down, you know, that level of, of infrastructure. But, but the point was, uh, it right even with that movie, it's stereotyped hackers being sort of the the kids or the young people. And in that same movie, those that were responsible for large infrastructures were were represented as as older people. Well, basically, yeah. the blue team was the IT department, Chris. You know, right. so, you know yeah. what is, I don't know, Frank. When do you think like the idea of like a blue team cybersec kind of really first came out or really first coalesced? I don't know. Oh, that gets into a whole debate. I've had this debate online before, but I, I personally believe <laughs> cyber, cybersecurity has become mainstream in the last 15, 20 years. Sure. I think people were doing secure things before, sure. but actually having cybersecurity titles. Um, I forget who the first person was. Um, it's, it's, it's losing me, but there it was a while ago, but it didn't become more of this mainstream. Everybody's talking about it. Even people not in the space know it now. Like my mom's a teacher and she knows about cybersecurity now, right? Right. That didn't exist 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. Well, it's funny you say that because I remember my first job in the early 2000s, um, you know, I got hired as a systems administrator and that meant I was in charge of the web application development. I was in charge of the SharePoint folder. I was in charge of, you know, laptops being deployed. There was no segmentation when someone said systems administrator or IT person. It was largely like everything kind of got dumped into, we're still not creative enough to come up with good titles. Yeah, yeah. yeah I agree. And yeah, I mean, I've worked at two Fortune 100 companies now and, uh, I was the first titled cybersecurity person at the last company, and that was only uh, eight, seven or eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And the company I'm at now formalized cybersecurity as an entire department only six or seven years ago, and we're a Fortune 48, $60 billion financial company. Sure. Yeah. So, so this, this comes, this comes you back to- the names, though. What's that? Sorry, Go ahead. Sorry. It's important yeah. to know that the, the names like blue team versus red team comes from war gaming. You know, like the right. red team were the attackers, blue team the defenders when they would do a live or a tabletop war game exercise. In sure. The military. Yeah. And part of blue team con is trying to help understand that like, like um, if we take it back to what is blue team, I, I view it as like this culmination of people that are working towards defending an organization's assets. So if you really look at that, the title doesn't really matter. What matters is the work you're doing. Um, so if you're like an IT person at a high school, you're the person implementing antivirus, installing group policy and configuring it. So you're a blue teamer. So right. like, are you an auditor? You're the one looking at making sure that everyone's following compliance requirements and regulatory requirements. So you're, def- you're defending the organization assets by doing that. So you're a blue team. And then it even goes over to these offensive security people. I mean, they're not black cats. They're not criminals, right? They're, they're, the red teamers that we hire and these firms we hire to help us do pen tests, red team engagements, et cetera, they're helping defending organizations' assets. So I really classify them as blue team as well. So that's because right, they're not bad guys. Yeah, correct. So my my argument is like, I'm not trying to draw a line by calling it blue team con. I'm trying to make it more realistic that everyone understands we're all on the same team, actually. 
Well, I think uh, so attending Blue Team Con, uh, which was a great conference, by the way, I, I really enjoyed the, 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 the stand up conversations in the hallway, the networking, um, the, the event was uh, well put on, you know, congrats to both of you. All the volunteers, man. Yeah, oh, my you know, God. Yeah. Yeah. Our, it was, our, it was fun. Our board rocks. We have rock our star speakers. Board. I mean, just, yeah. Yeah, speaker, I, just, so, yeah. So, but the reason I'm bringing up more than, you know, plugging Blue Team Con, which is always good, is that one of the sessions that I sat through really talked about really the essence of, of what you're talking about and why Blue Team Con came about. And that was red team isn't bad team. Red team is the misunderstood side of the defense that you're describing that makes us all sort of part of the same blue team, right? We're all responsible for defending. The yeah. part that was, I think, or I think that has been largely missed culturally is that when someone says auditor, we think negative, right? When we think, uh, you know, vulnerability assessment, we think they're looking for what I did wrong. When we when we talk about all of those things, and then we get into like full on penetration testing, the idea here is that they're going to find something that it was my responsibility to protect. Yeah. And I think what you're saying, and really is important for our listeners to hear, is that these are what allow us to become better at what we do and improve our security posture. So when we, when the real bad guys, which I, we could just say are, are really more of the black team, if you will, like there's no color, they just kind of operate on their own sort of set of rules. You're, you're ready or more ready than you are today, because if you don't know about it, it's probably getting exploited. It gives us freedom. Yeah. It gives us freedom. Right. <laughs> nice stuff. Yeah, <laughs> nice I, plug I, there. I, I agree that, yeah, it's a, uh, it's an understanding that this all makes us better. If you're working for an organization where, uh, you know, you don't get the best results in a pen test and you're let go because of that, it's, you don't, it's not an organization you want to work for anyway, because they have massive cultural problems. Sure. These, these assessments and all these tools are meant to make you better and, or, and protect your organization as the end goal. So along those same lines, before we get into the actual hoodies versus suits, I think similarly to a penetration test finding, you know, a failure on my part, right? I didn't close all the ports and we're correcting that. I think the sim there's a, there's an other side of that too, is you've had a breach. You've had a ransomware attack. It's shut your company down. One of the things that drives me nuts is that you get into the conversation as we're trying to rebuild and bring things back to life. And they're like, we're firing that company. These two employees are fired. These are all things that are happening in real time. And you're like, wait a second, time out. I'm not proposing that there aren't repercussions for poor decision-making or, or ignorance or negligence. But if that's being done when you're trying to recover, then you're in the same boat as if it was an exercise and you fired somebody because they didn't do a better job. Yeah, I fully agree. And I think that's, we need to move away from the you that if I'm a hiring manager, I'm probably going to bring on the person that's been through an incident or a breach yep. compared to the one that hasn't because the lessons learned there are extreme. And that person, especially in a CISO position, no CISO wants to be the person that went as a CISO at two different companies and got breached, right? Right. So <laughs> if it happens to them once, I can... I can really depend on them that they're probably never going to let that happen again. Well, as a, as a, as a, uh, CISO, uh, virtual CISO, uh, in, in many, in many of the opportunities I, I work with, I, I love being brought in post breach because then I know that everybody's rowing in the same direction. 
to prevent breach from happening again versus being brought in and saying, we just want to prevent bad things from happening. And yeah, our budget's only, you know, so big. Um, and, and then of course it's my fault when we don't spend enough money to, to really, you know, lock things down. Right. So, so guys, this is what really, um, had me, I've been thinking about this probably for, since I brought up to Stella, I wanted to do a, a blue team. Um, well the hoodies versus suits has been like from the beginning, what I wanted to talk about. And actually twice today already, I've had conversations, uh, with, uh, MSPs and, and it service providers that we're, de- are dealing with, uh, employees that are jumping ship to go somewhere else for, you know, a better, uh, piece of the pie, if you will. And, and, and the piece of the pie is literally a sliver because it's like $2,000 more than they were making. But if we look around us post COVID or, or even still living through COVID, you can see a huge gap in the, the number of resources available to fill positions, both in the SMB and the enterprise space. And so I wanted to talk about sort of the the cultural gap, it goes back to what you said, Frank, at the beginning about how uh, red team and hacker and community, and it was largely made up of that sort of younger group and looking at like a blue team is collectively more focused on, I'm used to sitting in a room all day, maybe I'll get something I can use, but I'm looking forward to the, you know, the, the networking cocktail party because it's free booze. Um, talk to me guys a little bit about what you're seeing, you know, still, um, with, with onshore, um, one would argue you're still somewhat in the SMB space as an organization, uh, versus Frank with, with, I know for your day job, like your company, you know, you said you're, you're a financial institution. That's like very, very large. Um, and then of course, say, say my company, uh, is just me, right. Or, or, or even the school district that I'm at, you know, we maybe have three, 400 employees, uh, when I went to hire the other, the, uh, this beginning of the school year, I put out a job posting. I let it sit out there for 30 days. I had one applicant, um, you know, great benefits. I'm looking for someone that's got some, some IT chops and some security understanding, but regardless of how far we go down the cybersecurity path versus like operational IT, there's a huge, huge gap. So Talk to me a little bit about sort of the, the bridging the gap, if you will, because I think if I was to go apply for a job today and, and what's in my head, I'm okay living in both spaces. I've been around long enough, you know, I'm not 25. Um, but those that I think are under the age of 35 today, I think there's a large, large amount of intimidation. Um, you know, still, I know you're looking at hiring a guy right now who literally asked me today, he's like, am, am, I, am I worth it? And I'm like, what do you mean? Are you worth it? I wouldn't recommend you to apply for a job that I didn't think you were qualified for, but this goes back to what I think is part of the cultural problem is we have a lot of people in the enterprise space that are, I should say, it's not necessarily enterprise, but older that don't necessarily value the skill set and qualifications that these guys and girls, men and women you know, are developing as they grow in the space, right? Because it's hard to look at and go, I can tangibly tell you that because of what you've learned over the last 12 months, because of the ransomware you went through or the breach, that you've increased that skill set that makes you that much more valuable to whatever the opportunity is. So what are you guys seeing? Like, I, I just, I really struggle with this, like, you know, are you hiring the the suit? Are you hiring the hacker? How do we get them to not carry those stereotypes with them? I think there's an underlying kind of, uh, I don't want to call it a flaw, but like a condition that uh, permeates through all of IT 
uh, in how people get introduced to it. And, and that's, you know, let's, let's say there's two categories of the way people get introduced to it. And one is, you know, they're a nerd and they're into it and they're, you know, they're a gamer, whatever, they play around with stuff when they're young and, you know, that, that grows into something. And then the other, uh, it would be, well, at some point in their lives, they chose it as a career and started getting training and whatnot. And sometimes those overlap, obviously. Um, and, and really, I mean, uh, for a while, there was like an MIS degree or something like that. But even there, like really, generally very little exposure to what kind of leadership and oversight looks like. I mean, I'm not just talking about like an MBA type leader, which frankly, plenty of CIOs and even CISOs like have MBAs or sure. have MBAs, you know? And, and for the record, I actually, that's what I went, actually got a degree. My, my bachelor's of science is an MIS degree, not a missus, yeah. not a missus, yeah. just and MIS. You, and you can, you know, confirm or correct me on like, to what extent they expose you to things like, look, a lot of your job is going to be, you know, making sense of data, uh, making sense of policy, uh, thinking about how, you know, the business is impacted, insurance, you know, risk management, um, you know, there's a, there's, it, it's very kind of wide, like a business position is. And, and then, so when you see that, or you get a glimpse of it, the people that are quote unquote, the hoodies, yeah. who are more the people who learn on their own, which, which, you know, I can make a good lot of arguments of how that's preferable, um, you know, and, you know, but even the people that got in and got schooling, whatnot, because of that lack of visibility, they just, they see a big gap there. They don't, and, and they especially don't see the value they bring to it. Sure. And that is so completely backwards. And as a result, I have seen people in leadership positions that don't have the technical backing, you know, and they're weak right. too. And, you know, what I want to see is I want to see a, a, a bridge. This isn't the only bridge. Yeah. Bridge, you know, but that one bridge, like, please, all you nerds, you know, someday you kind of, I don't want to say grow up or whatever. Someday, you know, your career development, some of you, it makes a ton of sense to go in that kind of leadership direction, even if it's just toeholds into it, because you bring tons of value to the table. Right. And, and, and none of this stuff is out of your reach. So it's anyway, like, that's kind of the, the one it's like saying uh, the jock versus pocket protector, right? Like there's, there's, there's some truth to that. The, the assumption that because the, the say being the nerd, if you will, um, was frowned upon a lot, a lot of younger people, especially going back to my generation when, so like going through and getting an MIS degree, I was classified or tagged as the nerd because of the type of classes that I was taking that were definitely not preparing me to be in a leadership position. They were preparing me for more of that engineering, like technical side that had it been more of a hybrid would have been an amazing, I would have exactly. started where I needed to be at, you know, 21, 22. I mean, Frank, you yourself, your own story is exactly that. You had to somehow, I can't, I remember I remember a time you and I spoke at a, at a conference, uh, the, it was a Chicago one, uh, a very suit kind of conference. Um, and, and I was kind of grilling you. You were saying, oh, I want to be CISO. I'm like, I'm grilling you. I'm like, okay, here are the things a CISO has to do. Do you remember that conversation? I do. And I was trying to tell you, like, Frank, this is totally, for one thing, my opinion is that's what's easy. If you can handle the nerd stuff, you can handle the business stuff or whatever, but you still have to have a stomach for it. Yeah. And I just saw your eyes light up. I'm like, this is what you have to think like. This is where you have to go. And you did it. I mean, you know, your path. Tell us your path. What moved you into like? Yeah. Real, qu real quick, I want to I want to add to that. So think think about like um, getting a CISP certification. I think, Frank, you have it, correct? Yep. Correct. So one of the things that I have been warned repeatedly, Chris, when you get the CISP, when you choose to finally finish that process, 
uh, it will change your mindset and not necessarily in a good way as it pertains to handling cybersecurity because it's a shift to a business mindset, not a technical engineering mindset. Is that, would you say that's true, Frank? I would say that's true. And that's also true of my career path moving up. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I started as a network security engine or just like a network engineer, network infrastructure. And I was going down the path of doing infrastructure. I was really interested in doing routing and switching. I think you and I had, had conversations about that when you were making yep. these decisions. Yeah, correct. Cause I was going through my degree, which was in information system security. And so I, I started off learning infrastructure and networking and I was really focused on that. I really liked it. And then I started learning security stuff. And then my, my how I kind of, pushed my last organization to develop security and a team and everything was already being an infrastructure, learning networking, doing help desk stuff, kind of learning how IT in general works. And then I would poke at things from a security perspective. Sure. As I would learn them in a class, I would bring that to the enterprise that right. I was working at and say, hey, we should fix this or we should do this. And right. just over time, by pointing those things out, eventually I just brought up that, you know, I want a security title. Like that's, I'm liking the space, this is the space I want to be in. Yeah. And I pushed for that and, and, that's, and that's what they did. So they made me the, the security person and then we hired more security people and we kind of grew from there. Uh, but just naturally over time, by being such a small security department in a Fortune 100 large company, uh, I had to take on the things Stel was talking about where I had to move. And like you're saying, and the SysP teaches you is, move to these manager, it's not really manager, I would say, it's just these higher level risk decisions um, and, and understanding that everything is becoming risk management and everything's also centralizing around identity. I, I think you said it, it I manage. would say it is a business component because the reality is when you are living in the security space, your focus is fundamentally about securing the asset at all costs, right? Because you're not being given the responsibility to think on the probability of the risk. You're thinking about ideally, this is what we do to lock it down. It's, I saw this meme the other day and it was like, I figured out how to 100% guarantee all of our servers are secure. And the, the person responds, how, how did you manage to do that? And he goes, I shut all the servers off. <laughs> so. So, right, like that's, that's actually the mindset that you, if you're in the engineering part of this and your, your security title, as opposed to the guy that's responsible for making sure that your staff can print, you would feel like, Hey, hundred percent success. I can sleep at night because there's no access. They're off. Right. Um, yeah. But now you shift into the business space and it's like, okay, well, how long can that server be off before we start losing money and go out of business? And that's the space that you're in. I think for me, I, I've really struggled with wanting to finish the CIS part, not because I'm afraid of, you know, say passing it per se, but there are a few domains that I haven't touched because I don't want to change my current way of thinking about the problem. Yeah. I mean, you're, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. Engineers love to find the min minute use cases and solve all these crazy problems and never look at it from a risk business perspective. Correct. So that, that it's just, uh, it is a constant debate. So I, I, my, my role is a network architect now at a large company and, I, and I've, I've gone through the GRC space. I, I know how that area works, but yeah, the, I get in constant battles with the engineers trying to solve minute use cases. And when I break it down and show them uh, risk management and giving what you're telling me, giving it like a score based off what I'm trying to tell you and give you that a score, yep, you'll yep. see that this is a 79, but what you're telling me is a 13. We can't worry about the 13. We need to worry about what's the 79. Right. That's what we need to solve. 
right and and some so so like this kind of is kind of a segue to sort of that next piece there's not enough of both right and kind of i think my hope and and i think i've heard this come from both of you is that that we would do away with the hoodie and the suit and make this more about we're on equal footing we're part of the same team we're all wearing the same jersey uh, as opposed to, you know, completely different outfits. You don't want to be the one that stands out, right? Like you don't look like the referee when everybody's wearing jerseys, right? Maybe what does it look? What's that? Maybe it's polo shirts. Yeah, sure. Polo shirts. Tell me all look like we work at the geek squad. I know. I uh, them, I know. Right, right, right. So, so, so along those lines, look, I feel like that's kind of the, the segue to what do we look for when we hire? And I'm going to say, let's rule out for a minute, the size of the organization. Cause I think that's we don't want to go down the rabbit hole of, well, you need, it's, it's that you are a qualified individual. You need to stop being intimidated about your skill set. Uh, Stella and I were, were working on this uh, uh, earlier, uh, a job posting that literally was so granular for a role in a director of security position that you're going through it. And one of the bullet points was needs to be competent with Microsoft office is one of the requirements. And I'm like, we just established that I've got to have 15 plus years of experience and you want me to have an MBA. You do realize that the cybersecurity space hasn't existed long enough for all of these things to apply. So 15 years of experience in cybersecurity is kind of like saying, uh, yeah, I used to be an auto mechanic and then I was a barista. That's seven years. I'll add that to the end of the seven I've got in cybersecurity. Does that count? I mean, I try not to spill coffee in my lap. That's a security concern. Like, what do you guys look for? Because I feel like I just described an extreme case. That isn't that what, isn't that what Alyssa got into? Alyssa did an unconference. Was a really did you were you there, Frank, at Alyssa's? I wasn't there, but yeah, I think she's done uh, blog posts and stuff and about about this area. And I think multiple people have. Yeah, she she was she was yeah. Well, in her talk, she was criticizing these like you know everything is, a, is like must have, you know, and there, some of them are, some of them are a little bit ridiculous. Uh, and she basically telling people ignore that apply anyways. Yeah. <laughs> the certifications is another one. Literally that same job posting had in it requirements for CISP. And then it listed off like three or four other ones. And I'm like, but those contradict me being a CISP. Like, yeah. And I think, I think the, yes, this is a fight I put on and many others do, but we, we really need to stop doing these hard requirements and yeah. especially if you list a tool in a job description, you're doing it wrong. Just, just out of, just let's put that 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 main yeah, line requirement point. out there. Stop yeah. listing tools. Anybody can learn any tool that exists. Nothing's too hard. Right. Uh, you need to be hiring personality in person, and that's what you really need to be looking at. We need to We're, be looking at more at these soft skills people call yeah. them. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's okay if you want to put down that someone has like you know 15 years experience, or hopefully they have a CISP, but every one of those requirements should trail off with or equivalent. Right. Well, I think it also says a lot to when you put a job description for a job posting, what's the job role? Because it's really easy to put bullet points and say, you know, competent skills uh, works well with others. But when, when you start talking about like, I, I don't know that a lot of companies actually know what the outcome of a productive CISO looks like, because I'll just give you an example as a, as a fractional CISO, I have, I have one client where we get on a call and all we talk about is the concerns they have with what they just saw in the media. And I'm like, you do realize we have all these other things to focus on. They're like, we want you to focus on this with us because we use this conversation to help avoid the, the, um, the freak, the panicking, if you will, from our staff, like in the cell phone is, is a good example, client, all of their, all their employees were, uh, AT&T customers. They wanted to know what, what do we say? What do we say to the employees that we buy phones for that are all on AT&T? Are we switching? 
Um, you know, I'm like, well, you went to Target yesterday. Why did you go to Target? I mean, they had a way worse breach than AT&T just did. You know, that's what they're looking for. So if, if you know what the expectations are, I think we would see more people applying for jobs. I will tell you right now, if I was applying for a job today, things that I would avoid are companies that say uh, must be willing to travel and, and not have it like be clear. Um, they want you to do things like you're responsible for building and running our IT department. Awesome. You don't have one. I mean, you see that all the time. Like, do you know, to, to manage the existing team. Okay, well, who's on the team? What's their skill set and qualifications? Because if I'm walking into, I got to do four other people's jobs until I get their skill set up, I'm not interested in that job opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, I agree that the industry in general just still does not understand the CISO role. And we see that by the majority of CISOs don't report to the CEO. And many CISOs and people will argue like, oh, well, I report to the COO and that's that's good enough or that that's the equivalent. And it's not. That's, the, that's them downplaying the role. And I'm not even sure. Be, I'll, I'll a, disagree. I want to disagree with you for a second. And you can, you can tell me if I'm wrong. So this is what I'm going to say. This is, this is the problem. We're throwing around the word see anything. I believe the security officer is the person that needs to have a seat at the table. And that whatever that's, that security officer is saying is being heard by whoever's in that key decision-making stakeholder role. Because if I have to share it with somebody else to then share it with the stakeholders, then we have a fundamental problem because whatever I say is going to be diluted to suit their best interest. Yeah, you've added latency into the equation. And I, absolutely. I, yes, I completely agree. Whoever owns the risks ultimately should be in the room with the security person that's in charge of security for your organization. And if I those think, two are not in a room yeah, together and yep. someone isn't man in the middle or a woman in the middle, it's wrong. And you just described, I think, this the hoodie suit thing is that culturally, we don't want to elevate somebody who has four or five years as opposed to 20 to a C-level status, and, and, I, and I don't really care. That's that's a different conversation, right? But the reality is, this is the person that you have tasked with protecting the entire organization. So yes. are you not going to have them in the room telling you what needs to be done? Or are you going to be like, you tell, he, and they will tell, and they will tell. And you know, when I consider it to be worth my time, I'll listen. Yeah, I think there's the, there's, there is definitely the challenge, a whole different discussion on getting just to that C-level title of CISO because, you know, if we look back a hundred years, CEO, CFO, COO have always existed and it's a good boys club and it's, they don't want to add another person to the good boys club because- That's a very good way to say it. Traditionally, these people like power um, and they view that as a loss of power if one of those people are not controlling who the CISO or security person is. They don't really want to add another seat to the table. So obviously Blue Team Con is helping shape the future of this. Thoughts, final closing thoughts, because I, I, we could have gone you know, for another hour talking about some of these pieces. Uh, I'll go with you first, Stell. Uh, closing thoughts on how do we close the gap? I think more from the standpoint of getting the right resources on the team mm -hmm. than whether or not that person has a seat at some imaginary table. Um, that's a secondary problem. Well, I call on all uh, conferences, conference organizers to include you know, kind of career discussion, career development, ideally like a workshop or something. We did sure. a resume workshop with some real rock star people in the industry, whatnot. Definitely keep inclusiveness up there. We're talking about, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, gender and, uh, and, you know, BIPOC uh, you know, groups because because they're too, all too easily kind of dismissed. Uh, sure. So just make sure they're front center. So those things, those efforts there, we're doing it and we're going to notch it up. Wait till you see next year. 
Um, uh, we really got some great ideas out there. Count oh, on yeah. it. Oh my, and this board is like on fire. This board is like absolutely determined to like, just not just follow, to lead, you know, in that regard. So, so yeah, let me put that request out. And then secondly, the request is to, um, uh, <laughs> yes. the, there's a blue team woo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The, the, you know, the request is to, uh, to people on kind of both sides, suit and hoodies, go to each other's events. You can start light, local stuff, virtual stuff, whatever, you know, just to be there culturally. If you're like, you know, I don't need to know about some kind of, you know, whatever technical detail thing. Well, you know, appear just to be kind of part of it, especially if there's an opportunity to network and vice versa. You're a hoodie. You're like, I'm a, I'm a practitioner. I'm a techie. You know, I don't care about this. So go to a, a GRC event, go to like a networking event that maybe a, a vendor sponsors and it's going to be some salespeople, you know, trying to, you know, buy dinner or whatever, you know, but the, you know, really you will benefit from that because you kind of mix the culture and, and as fact, I would say you affect the culture. So there you go. Please uh, no, I, yeah, I go think on. that's great. I think you just, just to recap, I, I feel like you said two things that are really important. One is don't be intimidated and overwhelmed by the idea that this is a conference or a topic that's outside of your wheelhouse, because the only way you're going to develop those skills is by getting involved and asking questions. Yeah, I, I, of course. Yeah. And uh, anyways, I'd like to see, I don't see, I see very little of it so yep. far. Yeah. I, I agree. Uh, all right, Frank, what do you what do you got? Closing thoughts on on same. Yeah, I agree. The building of community is the big one here. Uh, okay. and establishing breaking down those barriers and those walls. I mean, I don't I don't I don't think we publicly posted this, but we, we did a random sample of 200 of our tickets at Blue Team Con, and 50 of those 200 were CISO or director level, 50 were architect or manager level, and fifth around 50 were engineer analyst level. So that's, that's a great, great spread. Uh, the rest were students or, or joke titles or no title at all. So um, that's that's about what the spread looks like. And I think we need more events like this. That's bringing them together in a, in a safe, inclusive environment that's more relaxed yeah. so they can talk with each other and share feelings. And then well, on the flip side, I think we need, my second thing would be that hiring managers need to hire the person and personality um, so we can start lifting more people up and getting more people in the industry. Uh, don't discount that people's ability to learn if you hire the right person. You don't sure. need to hire the person that has five to six years experience in security. Anybody can learn it. It just takes time and helping build those people up. Yeah. So uh, just to recap, I think you said really it's about culture and community and, and building up people that otherwise may not get exposed to the opportunity to be on your team. Who, who may be the best candidate and, and they've never even really worked in cybersecurity. I, I can say, I think for me, uh, having, you know, worked for Onshore and working, worked with you in the past, uh, I, I can vividly remember when I came over to Onshore and the first thing on my plate uh, still asked me to read the, the Baldridge uh, document. And I was like, I read through it and I'm like, man, this like pretty clearly articulates how you should approach handling risk. Uh, why is this not part of like every organization's like process for identifying and managing risk? Oh, well, because not everybody wants to read. So if you've got somebody that's like, Hey, I'll tackle that. I'll, I want to learn that. Um, very quickly, you can become, I think, an expert on the compliance side, even if you don't have the chops yet on the actual uh, evidence and security side. Uh, they go hand in hand, but I don't think that you necessarily have to get them in the, in one sequential. It's not linear necessarily. Yeah, no, we need even, to. Sorry. And even though you know, our for us, like our upmarket clients buy those services more from us. You know that you know they're because they have compliance pressures and whatnot. 
oh, you wait and see. The SMB space is going to really start getting pressure from, you know, CISA. And even if they don't get it from SEC, you know, they're going to sure. get it from government and government as a vendor, you know, organization. Uh, so, yeah, let's get busy understanding well, kind of risk management. Uh, you, just you, know, saw the, you just saw the new safe harbor laws that are coming out. There's five mm-hmm. states now that if you have any of the approved frameworks, CIS, CMMC, and there are a couple others, and you can show proof when bad things happen, you are being protected by the state so that you are not being sued or, you know, frivolous lawsuits being brought against you because of something that maybe could have been avoided, knowing that there is no perfect, you know, secure environment that's going to stay secure all the time. Yeah, yeah, because that's going to have some other kind of repercussions too, but it is the right thing to do. I, it, I it, it helps, right? It, it says I, I'm willing to work with you knowing that my risk isn't so catastrophically high that bad things happen, my doors close. Right. Yeah, right. But these code with breach disclosure, too, yep. you know, yeah. have, you know, and yeah, and uh, just, I don't, I don't know what insurance companies are going to do. I think it's going to really raise premiums a lot and uh, which, which I don't like, but I think it's the right thing. You know? Well, you know, I think, you, you know, the idea that because I have insurance, it'll pay the claim is naive and, and, and ignorant. Right, and exactly. Exactly. People are really underwriting is completely changing in that space. Absolutely. Yeah, starting to cover a lot of things. And remember, like they're all friends. They're all friends, right? What is it like the roughly 200 of the big ones? They're all under the same Lloyds of London. So it's not like you, you this one's not going to work. You're going to go to the next one. They, they all talk to each we're, other. Like, and we're all in the same camp, likely to say, hey, transparency is very valuable. Yep. Like, we should all be talking about problems and breaches, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. But I have been involved in multiple incidents. And 100% across the board, the insurance company and the lawyers are like, you shut your mouth. Right. 100%, 100%. You know, well, and, and, and I've had to fight those guys before and make, and, and to, you know, oppose that. I'm like, no way. I don't want to cut you off, but I'm Still seeing please. that there is an episode in the future that is Ooh. still with his gloves off as we go after the uh, insurance space. What? Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll invite my friend. Uh, uh, I, I won't name names. And, okay. Uh, a, a attorney in the insurance industry. That I think that all I think that would that be claim. a great. It has it is a conversation that comes up all the time. So that would be great, uh, guys. I really appreciate yeah, yeah, that yeah. you were on this episode of MSP thirteen thirty seven. All of those out there listening, have a great week. Thank uh, you. Yeah. See you guys.